Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host here again with you today. The show episodes, beginning from September 2019, can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. And of course, they can be found and downloaded on popular podcast platforms. And the show is also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. Do you have a parent 75 to 85 years of age? Do you know there is one common mistake people make who have an older parent or loved one? They are not prepared when something happens something that is part of the certainty that comes along with aging. So let me be your personal aging parent care plan coach in my course, The Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving the Basics. You'll be able to find information on the course once you click on the link for the free book offer on the Senior Straight Talk host page. And you can also find information on the homepage of my website, phyllisamonassociates.com where there is a link to get free access to my blog and register for the Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving course, which has valuable free bonuses that go along with it. My latest book chapter in WTF to OMG with a little LOL, Unpacking Life's Hidden Lessons, was published July 19th and became a number one Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. It features my story about personal responsibility and self-care that led me to the work I do today. Of course, the book can be found on Amazon. And my previous book chapter, published May 17th in Think Big, is also available on Amazon. And it's my story, my big vision about my projects which are dedicated to raising awareness about the value of older adults in our society. I'm honored to be included in this book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy and many others, of course. Kyle Wilson, publisher, is president of Jim Rohn International. The many stories included in both books can inspire and motivate you in your business and positively impact your own personal development and growth. As the ambassador for Conscious Aging Life Management, I will help you develop your personalized longevity or wellness care plan so you can continue to age as healthfully and gracefully gracefully as you possibly can. Please email me at phyllis at phyllisaimanassociates.com for more information. The place to begin is within and the time to begin is now. And now for today's guest. Dr. Cynthia Stewin is the main representative to the United Nations on behalf of the International Federation on Aging and is chair of the NGO Committee on Aging New York. 
Dr. Stewin is active in advocacy for the protection of the human rights of older persons and monitoring of inclusion of older persons in the United Nations Agenda 2030 and support of the United Nations Decade of Healthy Aging. Dr. Stewin is a past chair of the American Society on Aging, and she is a fellow of the Gerontological Society of America and also the New York Academy of Medicine. I am so thrilled to have here with me today Dr. Cynthia Stewin for a conversation on Senior Straight Talk. Thanks so much for being here with me on Senior Straight Talk today. It's such a pleasure. And, um, you know, we only met a few weeks ago at the International Day of Older Persons. I love the, the word, the, you know, the phrase older persons. Um, I'll tell you a little funny story. Um, when I walked up to the United Nations to get in with my, in, with my um, ticket, so I was asking this uh, one security guard or, you know, a guard at the front where the entrance was to go to the conference. <laughs> and he said to me, you won't be so happy with this. And I wasn't either. Oh, you're here for the conference about old people? I said, mm, well, it's really the older persons, um, but yes, I guess you could say that. So I guess we'll start with that. Yeah, well, you know, the, the UN kind of didn't wake up to older persons until sort of the 70s. Now, the United Nations was established right at the end of World War II, so 1945, and, um, you know, if you think back to 1945, what was the average life expectancy? Mm. Wasn't, you know, as long. I mean, in, in 1900, it was only age 47 here in the U.S. So, 1945, you know, it had creeped up a little, but still, it was only in the 70s that um, uh, Ambassador, um, a woman, Alvarez, she was... A permanent deputy representative assisting her brother, who was the um, representative from um, El Salvador to, or, or no, Dominican Republic, I apologize, Dominican Republic to the UN. But she was actually living in New York, and so she assisted, and her English was much more fluent than her brother's. Well, she became our champion. And wow. because of her, activity that we had the first world assembly on aging and what year was that 1982 wow then we had 20 years later the second world assembly on aging 20 um, years later 20 years later in uh 2002, but preceding that, in 1999, the UN established the Year of the Older Person, where they observe it all year, just like there's been the Year of the Child or the right. you know Year of the Family or whatever. So, but it was really due to her advocacy, and it's how we got the principles of older persons at the UN. Uh, because she really wanted it to be stronger, but she knew the art of compromise. But I know, know stories of people who knew her personally 
and she was known for walking down the corridors, and she was feared <clears throat> uh, at the UN, and shaking her finger at other ambassadors and saying, you have got to recognize older people, and you blah, 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 and she would give them the business. So she really, they actually labeled her, she's now deceased, but they did give her the honorific title of Ambassador of Aging. Oh, wow. What a phenomenal history. And it was shortly thereafter that the UN established the International Day of Older Persons to take place on the 1st of October of every year. So I have to, so this is um, an interesting thought that just came into my mind because I only became aware of the open-ended working group on aging when I was writing my first book in 2016 or 17. That's when I started doing research. That's when I found out about it. And I would say of all, excuse me, of all the places that I've worked that I talk about the open-ended working group on aging, it's part of my spiel, I'll say, (laughs) right? Um, Then nobody really knows about it, unfortunately. And I'm talking about not, you know, people in your local community. I'm talking about that I worked in long-term care, who most of the people in long-term care are older persons. Not all. Um, That is a misconception. Not all, but uh, certainly I would say a good percentage of them are older persons. And I'm thinking as I'm talking to you, I promise you, I didn't think of this before, um, that wouldn't it be wonderful if um, long-term care, you know, as a collective, as an industry, as a collective, and if the individual environment celebrated (laughs) the day of older persons for all the people that are in, that reside in their environments. Yes, wouldn't it be? Yeah. And... How about just, I mean, there are observances of uh, October 1st around uh, the world, not just, I mean, the people who take leadership for the UN International Day of Older Persons are the NGO Committee on Aging in New York here, and there's uh, our counterpart in Geneva and our counterpart in Vienna. But there are observances in the Maldives or, you know, in Pakistan or in Australia where people do observe the 1st of October with various, um, you know, observances. And governments get involved in many of those cases, etc. It just depends on the enlightenment of the country, its leadership, etc. You know, the U.S., has the month of May is Older Americans Month, driven by, of course, established by Older Americans Act, when we finally woke up to say, oh, yeah, we got a lot of older people going on. But anyway, so uh, in this area of the open-ended working group, it's coming up in 2023 on the 13th (laughs) meeting. Yeah. Now, this open-ended working group was established to take a look at 
are there gaps in existing human rights documents such that we need to consider writing a new legally binding instrument, which we call a convention, gets confused, but a convention or legally binding document that all the UN countries could could approve and then individually they each would have to ratify it. That's, we're going into our 13th year and every year as one of my colleagues uh, says so eloquently, I feel like we've been in, in gerontology 101. Every year we look at normative, you know, standards of aging and where there are gaps. And we've gone through <clears throat> basically, you know, poverty and health and quality of life. And, you know, and actually the Human Rights Council that resides in Geneva has already come out and had meetings and said there are sufficient gaps in the existing Universal Declaration of Human Rights that was passed in 1948. Hmm. And, and no wonder we now have a Convention on the Rights of the Child. Those right. explicitly covered. We have a Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which was modeled on the United States Americans with Disabilities Act, but has the U.S. ever ratified it? No. So I want to just jump back to something you said, which was that May is considered the month of older persons. So this is the first time hearing of it, and except for Mother's Day, <laughs> which doesn't necessarily imply an older person, I haven't heard that. Um, well, I tell you, I, I can I can tell you exactly why, and you'll understand this. You and I formerly worked in long term care, right? Comes out of healthcare, Medicare, Medicaid in our in the U.S. Correct. That's administered separately from the Older Americans Act, which is community based. Mm. And May honoring older Americans is comes directly out of the evolution of the passage of the Older Americans Act in 1965. Very interesting. But I, um, but I um, haven't seen, let's say, in, in my community, in any community in which I've lived, any acknowledgement or celebration. I mean, I'm sure if I ask my daughter, she, uh, probably has no idea. I, I probably, if I ask every person I know, they'd have no idea. So that seems to me something that we need to, um, not we, I don't mean you and me, I mean collectively as a society, which is part of what I'm trying to do. Um, little old me, right? Um, with, my, with my film project about um, really inspiring a national conversation and bringing to the national consciousness awareness of how we value, care for, and treat older adults. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's basically when I started this in 2000, my first, when I started researching my first book, which was, uh, was a, got a little in the weeds, I have to admit, uh, 
It's, uh, it was called Nursing Homes to Rehabilitation Centers, what every person needs to know, because I really wanted to inform people. Um, but that was my mission from the very beginning about how can this become a national conversation, part of our national consciousness, just like other things have even more recently, right? Uh, because of some catastrophic event, let's say, uh, without going into that. And I actually thought COVID would do that. It really hasn't. Um, that was my big wake-up call. Yeah. I thought it, it almost is like a blip. Not that it's, it's a blip in, in, our, in, our, in our living situations, but I thought that that would really, I mean, there's more being done, more awareness, but I thought on a national level that might really catapult it, but it really hasn't. Yeah. And bottom line, ageism. Correct. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, it matters. So, you know, and in some cases, I'm sure there are some elected officials saying, oh, well, if we give, you know, if, if uh, a lot more older people die off, it'll save the, it'll save the uh, healthcare system lots of money and we're dispensable. So it's interesting that you say that because as you and I both know, the longevity economy and the the goods and services that are created. And this is part of my spiel now also. <laughs> but no, and I'm in an, an orbit outside of long-term care. I'm in a very entrepreneurial ar- orbit and with, with, you know, very successful entrepreneurs. And this is my spiel uh, that the longevity economy in the United States is worth $8.4 trillion dollars. But not uh, globally, it's worth like $43 trillion. So we can not afford older people. And I don't know if you know this, but just, I, I don't know if it was last week, but I saw the tweet over the weekend that San Diego County just hired the first chief geriatric officer, recognizing the boom in the older population. And the needs of that population that obviously aren't being addressed. And I thought, well, we, we should have a national celebration about that. <laughs> right? Well, it's I'm, interesting that it's positioned as a geriatric I'm, in yes. a community-based setting versus, you know, in a state-based setting as opposed to gerontology, which is much more encompassing. Correct. But, Maybe we should, uh, maybe you can explain that. I thought the same thing. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about the word geriatric because that's also an ageism and an ageist and conjures up certain stereotypes. Uh, the person who was thrilled about it is happens to be a geriatrician and uh, lives in California. So I don't that's know if he was instrumental in that. But maybe you want to talk about that. The difference between geriatrics and gerontology. Sure. Well. Geriatrics comes out of medicine. A geriatrician is a physician trained with specialty training in older persons. It's geriatric medicine, and they are a geriatrician. There are not nearly enough geriatricians in our country, and you'll be hard-pressed to find very many medical schools offering geriatric medicine as a specialty practice. So... That being said, gerontology is the much broader umbrella. Gerontology just means the study of aging. So I studied in the field of social work. I could call myself when I worked 
both in long-term care and community-based services, a gerontological social worker. Now, if I worked in a hospital setting, I might have called myself a geriatric social worker, but that really only applies in the medical sense. So I would always argue it's a very broad field. The one, que the one area of um, I could never quite reconcile is I think you are need to be educated in a discipline. It might be law, it might be social work, it might be psychology, it might be medicine, it might, you know, be architect. But just to get a degree in gerontology, I want to say, well, how do you ground that? And it really is, from my perspective, more like, well, I have a background in something, but I never studied in the field of aging. So I'm going to get my <clears throat> master's in gerontology also. But some schools, very prominent schools, offer master's degrees in gerontology. Yes, they and do. I, yeah. And I just say, and I, I'm not faulting them. I'm not poo-pooing them. I'm just saying from my perspective, I, where do you come at it from? Speech, if you worked in the field of older persons, you know, you're, you're a gerontological speech pathologist, but you're a speech pathologist, you know. Or if you worked solely with children, you'd say, I'm a pediatric speech pathologist. You know, I just, I just always have had issues of how to reconcile mm. and you get just, and I don't mean just in a negative pejorative. I know what you mean. But it's interesting that you say that because as you're talking about it and describe yourself, let's say, as a, a, a gerontological social worker, I had never thought of it that way, uh, thought of myself that way. But the reality is that is a specialty in and of itself because I've spent over 40,000 hours working in long-term care. I'm not saying that I didn't work with people that you know, we're younger than most people would think of as, as being part of an older population because there are many in, in um, skilled nursing facilities and people probably aren't aware of it. Anybody over the 18, age of 18 can be in a skilled nursing facility and there are many, as I said, for a variety of reasons. Um, but um, now that you say that, because when I worked, I did work with children for a while and that, that is a subset and it's interesting because um, if people ask me now, gee, would I do any coverage or work in a place with, uh, you know, children, I say, you know, I have to tell you, it's not an area of specialty of mine anymore. I certainly knew about it when I was working in it uh, for that many years, but I'd have to go back and educate myself, just like if somebody asks me, and I've had this um, you know, I know somebody who's a stutterer. Would you work with them? I say, I have to tell you, I don't know much about stuttering anymore. I, I studied it when I was in graduate school, but that's not an area of expertise of mine. So I wouldn't even really go there. So um, I have seen situations. It's so interesting that we're talking about this because working in long-term care, who, uh, especially now, but even years ago, they were so... Uh, needed speech pathologists so so drastically 
So very often you get somebody who, let's say, worked in schools and then would work after school for a few hours in a long-term care setting. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was always kind of an objection of mine because you don't really know about that area. You don't understand how that, not everybody, but don't understand how that works and what that uh, industry is like and what the needs are and all of that. So it's interesting that we're, we're having this conversation because um, I never thought of it that way. Only in terms of myself, I obviously have specialized in that without even realizing it. Right. And I'll tell you, our, my own profession, the um, professional organization, the National Association of Social Workers, um, <clears throat> back in the, uh, I think it was early 80s, we did a survey of where were where and how social workers identified themselves. And what we found was the social workers who worked in healthcare and they worked primarily on med surge floors, they're the ninety percent of their population were over were older persons. Hmm. They never ever thought of themselves as a geriatric social worker, a gerontological social worker at all. Interesting. No self-identification. That's the population I'm working with. But no, no, they they worked in healthcare. And that's the ageism that we grow up with as well. And I don't even call it healthcare anymore. I call it medical care because... It's a little counterintuitive to health, but that's another conversation. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk. We'll be right back with Cynthia Stewin of the, uh, who I met at the International Day of Older Persons, and what a treat! So we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now, back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with 
Cynthia Stewin, who I met at the United Nations International Day of Older Persons, October 1st. And here we are, uh, tomorrow's November 1st, so this is really uh, very cool that we're recording this, even though it won't go out until, um, it won't be live until Friday the 4th. But I think it's very cool that um, here we are just about a month later, and, and it was on a Monday, so it is four weeks later. This is very cool to me. But I wanted to talk about uh, your official uh, capacity at the United Nations, which is the United Nations NGO Chair of the Committee on Aging. So I, I was hoping you could talk about what the NGO stands for and talk a little bit about the Committee on Aging. Okay. NGO is non-governmental organizations. Any non-governmental organization can apply for status within the United Nations. It's an application process. So, for example, I'm representing the International Federation on Aging, which has approved status, consultative status, at the United Nations. <clears throat> I have to be as a member, as an officer of an NGO committee on aging, uh, or any of the NGO committees, there's NGO committee on the family at the UN, there's NGO committee on sustainable development, on women's issues, etc. To be an officer, you must be uh, um, representing an NGO with status at the UN. What that also gives a person representing that organization at the UN is the ability to make a statement, to speak, um, except you, you, UN has invited speakers and you don't have to <clears throat> have that status, but to be recognized from the floor as somebody who wants to make an intervention, which is a way of another word at the UN for saying a statement. Right. <clears throat> if you're not a member <clears throat> of an NGO recognized by the UN, you could not, they wouldn't turn your microphone on. You couldn't be recognized. Ah, oh, I so, see. So, everyone, so the NGO Committee on Aging in New York is dedicated to trying to bring world awareness of the opportunities and challenges of an aging society. Okay? Our, our tagline is a uh, building a society for all ages. We're not we against the rest of the world. We're never wanting to pit one generation against another. We only want to be recognized and part of inclusion so that when there are programs at the UN, they're very careful. Oh, we have to have youth included. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. But what about older persons? Right. There's also the, re the requirement on panels that there be an equal gender balance, right? Makes a lot of sense, yes. Correct. We're not as well represented. But when it comes to older persons, not so much. But anyway, uh, so we do our work uh, by establishing our own objectives. Our number one objective is seeking to promote a convention a legally binding document on the human rights of older persons, okay? So we do that in a variety of ways. 
from everything from physically making mission visits to the other UN missions <clears throat> in New York to bring awareness, attention <clears throat> to why it's so important that they support a convention. They have to get that word from their capital in their country. Oh, yeah, they, can't, they never, the ambassadors to the UN are different than the ambassadors to the country, which in our case, ambassadors from, say, Finland have their uh, ambassador stationed in Washington, but their UN ambassador is stationed in New York and they have offices here, just like the, U, the U, United States has a, a very lovely high-rise building across from the UN uh, as its headquarters. Right. And Linda Thomas-Greenfield is our ambassador to the UN. Okay. I see. And what's interesting, <clears throat> this is an aside, but um, Linda Thomas-Greenfield is working under the Department of State. Right. So when it comes to older persons, there is yet to be assigned anybody in the Department of State that covers older persons' issues. There is one for disabilities, but not for older persons. Oh, how very, very interesting. I think we need to think about that, no? Well, it just makes the communications interesting and different because all of aging issues come under basic well, many different cabinet-level branches. I mean, we you certainly have Health and Human Services and the division that covers uh, Medicare, Medicaid, et cetera, right? The medical care, the other health care, et cetera. Then you have the community-based services that, that also comes out of our old, what we used to call the Administration on Aging, but it's uh, the Administration on Community Living. All right, where all of the Older Americans Act programs are funneled, channeled, and reauthorized, etc. But then again, look at uh, uh, employment. If right. it's an employment case of age discrimination, that comes under Department of Labor, right? Oh. And then you have <clears throat> elder justice issues coming under the Justice Department. You know, so it's we have, we have a lot of different areas. The point is, older persons are in all those areas. Yes, correct, it's, and it's so fragmented. It's, it's very and fragmented, it's, right? So when we say, you know, to the average citizen on Main Street, well, we need a convention on the rights in their eyes, they plays over and say, yeah. Well, what, what should I do? We say, well, contact your, your government. Well, who in our government right. should contact? <clears throat> and that's where the NGO Committee on Aging took leadership about a year ago to engage uh, an analysis, stakeholder analysis in Washington because all the departments come under different um, <clears throat> oversight. Right. The Senate and the House. And the executive branch appoints, et cetera, and supervises. But so you've got Senate committees and you have House committees that have jurisdiction over the international budgets and work. 
right? So it's it's also complicated, right? Because it's so fragmented. Yeah. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. And then you'll have a country like U.S. who says, even though the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities was modeled on our ADA, what do we have to fear, right? <clears throat> Why don't we ratify it? Well, we don't need it because we have our own ADA. And we say, well, what about all the other member states in the world for whom they don't? And just by not ratifying it, <clears throat> because once you ratify it, you then are subject to um, administrative oversight by the Human Rights Commission oh. for making sure there are no violations. Those commissions get set up. Mm. And then they periodic. So it is another layer of reporting, etc. And um, so far, the answer has been, we don't need it. Even though we say, well, we're a leader. We want to continue to be a leader in the world. Why wouldn't we do that? Right. And, and just to uh, comment on that, because some of the reports that I heard from some of the delegates at the International Day of Older Persons certainly suggest that we need that because there are certainly violations around the world. I'm not saying there are violations here, but there certainly are violations around the world, glaring violations um, that need to be addressed. But like, as you say, you know, it's an older person and that and a lot of it, the root of cause, and of course, is, is ageism. You know, it's an older person. They don't have much function anymore. They don't serve much purpose. And right. so they're over there, other later for them. I, I, I had a... Um, I wrote a blog article a while ago called um, Have You Been Told to Exit Stage Left? And um, it's because, you know, I, I know people, um, Bill Thomas, he wrote a book, The Second Wind, and people talk about it at second stage and all this kind of thing. Um, and I think uh, Ken Dykewald talks about the second wave and, and all of this. And, and I think of it more as the third act of life, you know, your, your childhood, your adulthood, and then there's these elderhood years. And I think it's like the third act. And so one day I was driving and that dawned on me, you know, it's like the third act. And now the curtain came down and somebody says, okay, exit stage left, which is what you do very often on, on stage, right? Uh, exit stage left, you're done, your act is finished, the curtain has come down and um, goodbye, we don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. yep. And That's in, uh, Simone Beauvoir's. For you're way ahead of, you know, she was way ahead of her time, but that's actually the way she defined. But I think what you're finding is that even in the developing, you know, the, the lower and middle income countries, you're finding their longevity is increasing also. They may only have currently 5% of their population are over the age of 60, but there's they're going to they're going to exponentially increase as well. And so it's like when you're in a low income country and you don't have enough resources for for basic infrastructure things and you see the longevity revolution, you know, uh, uh, coming to you, I think it's finally finally slowly getting through to people. You got to you got to maximize all your population. I mean, you can't expect, you know, the five-year-olds to be making contributions to society, 
but you can expect 60 and 70 and 80 year olds and 90 year olds to still contribute something back to their community and Absolutely. just don't leave them out from being at the table and I'm and you and I are not Pollyannas to know there are profoundly disabled people in their right. later years and I'm not talking about that I'm just talking about the average person aging who's going to be better able to because of better improved health care, sanitation, etc., they're gonna they are going to live longer. And what you want to do is maintain as much productivity as you can and life satisfaction and giving back to the community. So um, it's just um, it's it's slow, but I think um, you know, you, you look around a meeting at the UN and you look at, you, you know, there are a lot of older people there by Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If, if nothing else, it's it's uh, self-preservation, right? It, it's certainly um, well, it's, it's in their best interest, right? Um, yes, but for them, they're engaged. So uh, very often, you know, people only think within their own um, sphere and they don't think so much yeah. beyond their own. But um, that's right. I, you know, but, no, I was just, no, I was just going to add that most people don't know, and this is part of what I'm talking about now with everybody, is that a hun- there are 100 million people over the age of 50 in the United States alone, and 10,000 people a day turning 65 between now and 2034. So, obviously, that older demographic is growing exponentially here as well. Oh, absolutely. That. All the developed countries, because because of indeed advances in healthcare and accessibility to healthcare and just a higher level of income for you know a majority, not all, <laughs> right. not all people. <clears throat> but anyway, what I wanted to say because we I mentioned about how <clears throat> the UN slowly recognized aging, but in with the first World Assembly. The second World Assembly on Aging took place in 2002, okay? We just observed the 20th anniversary, and at that World Assembly in 2002, they adopted the um, MIPA, the Madrid International Plan of Action on Aging, MIPA. And it covers all the bases. But remember, that was in 2002. So, you know, it doesn't have a lot about digital technology of any sort, but a little bit. But just, you know, I'm saying it's a little dated, but that doesn't mean it can't. And many countries feel, because there's MIPA, that we don't need to have this convention. Well, the problem is MIPA is soft law. It's mm. not legally binding. So mm. it's a set of principles of how the rights that older persons should have. But it's not enforceable. So this year was the 25th or the uh, 20th anniversary, uh, 2022, of, the world, the, of MIPA. So it takes place evaluation-wise. Each country submits its its uh, uh, review. Used to be every four years. Now it's every five years. Hmm. 
United States is and Canada are part of the European region. Okay? The UN is divided into five regions. We are part of the European region. So I was fortunate <clears throat> in my position as the NGO chair to be invited to go to Rome for this re review of MIPA, which was the 20th anniversary of MIPA. And at that meeting, uh, while there was a lot of condemnation of the invasion of Ukraine and what's happening to the human rights of older persons hmm. in Ukraine and etc., basically there was many countries calling for the importance of looking at the need for a convention on the human rights of older persons. So that was encouraging, but I would say we have to keep the heat, kept the, keep the heat up. Absolutely. So I want to say that I am very honored and privileged to now become a member of the Committee on Aging, something that I had been, um, like I said, thinking about and, and interested in since I wrote that book, right, that first book and found out about the open-ended working group on aging. And at that time, you know, I'm, I'm kind of... Um, I'll say a little naive, um, believe it or not, <laughs> at this stage, because I started writing emails to people <laughs> saying, you know, how can I get involved? I want to be involved. I'd like to come to the open-ended working group on aging. I'd like to. Uh, it was kind of funny because, um, you know, I just said, you know, so I, I guess I was putting it out to the universe and it, and it came to me when it was time for it to come to me. And how I even found out about this actually is because I met a, a gentleman at a having nothing to do with long-term care or what I do at, a, um, at the Javits Center. I was on this little panel. It was, an, it was a panel of basically um, an entrepreneurial panel. The person is, a, he's a, big entrepreneur. And I met him at another event uh, at this other orbit called Secret Knock. And um, so uh, he invited me to be on this panel. And I met this gentleman, I met a couple of people there. And this gentleman sends me announcements all the time and uh, of different committees and events and whatever, if I don't get them on my own. And he's the one who sent me, I'm very grateful to him about the the International Day of Older Persons a meeting at the United Nations oh. conference, I should say. And so that was a really great thing. And that led me to where I am on the, with you and in this conversation wow. and also on the committee. So I have to be very thankful for him, to him. Um, great. Yeah. And so it, people like you. We oh, thanks. So, like you. Thanks so much. It's very kind. By of the you way, people. it's interesting to note the open-ended working group will allow non-accredited NGOs to come, but you have to apply in a timely way. Right. You get more information about that through the NGO Committee on Aging. Oh. It's the one exception, just like we do it for the International Day of Older Persons. We allow anybody can come, but you have to pre-register because it has to, has to go through security at the UN to make sure they will allow you to be admitted. Yeah, your name was vetted uh, with everybody else on that list. 
even if we like had our own badges, we're accredited because the, it's so close to the General Assembly meeting in, in September that our date of October 3rd, Monday, October 3rd, was the last day when my badge alone wouldn't get me in. I, I too needed a special pass just because of such heightened security for the UN around the, the General Assembly. I have to tell you, I'm not speechless that often. <laughs> there are only a few people that um, are situations where I'm speechless. Bill Thomas, he can usually get me speechless, although I kind of passed that a little bit with him. <laughs> but but I, I'm just, I was, I, I'm rendered speechless. I mean, I never would have thought that. But I will say that when I drove up there, I haven't been to that area in a long time. I you know, as I said, I, I started out working at NYU, actually, at the Rusk Institute. Um, so I was right. I was right near the United Nations. I used to drive up that road all the time. But I haven't been there in a very long time. And when I went, at first, I wasn't sure where I can park. And I came to this entrance. And I remember I called my I think it was I called my, uh, my I called my friend and I said, wait a minute, they're sweeping these cars for bombs. I mean, I, I mean, it was, I, I was, you know, unless you're in that situation, you may know it, but unless you see it and you're there, I was, I was, I was like, oh my goodness, of course it makes perfect sense, but I had never thought about it. And I found parking nearby. There's a wonderful parking lot right, right on one of the side streets. But I never thought about that and about being vetted until you said that. So I'm like, that took my breath away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's very, very <clears throat> that. And also the Commission on the Status of Women that uh, takes place in in March for two weeks. That again, especially the first week, First Avenue from certain to certain streets by the UN will be shut down and you will not because there are anywhere from seven to 10,000 people converge for that meeting. So wow. the city is a, just like, I mean, the general assembly has the, I mean, presidents of all right. those countries coming in. They have to have this right. security and it, you know, all the signs on the New York roadways give you alert about when the General Assembly and to take public transportation. And I say, stay underground if you can. <laughs> uh, not, not to be confused no, with uh, your civic responsibility or statement. <laughs> but I like that one, stay underground if you can. I think it's great. Uh, well, anyway, Cynthia, this has been just so fantastic. I'm so privileged and honored not only to have met you, uh, but to now be a member of the Committee on Aging. I mean, it's everything that obviously that I stand for in my life's work. So this is really a privilege and, and um, I'll be happy to serve in any capacity and contribute in any way I can. We look forward to it. It's great. Yeah, this has just been great. So please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And this is Phyllis Amon signing off for today. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.